Right at the Fork is brought to you by our friends at Harry and David. You may know Harry and David for their gifts, but many people have grown to appreciate their homegrown products for easy, delicious home entertaining, from ready-made appetizers to complete gourmet dinners. Find out all you need to know at harryanddavid.com. And from now until the end of February, enter the promo code PDX10 on harryanddavid.com to get 10% off. And thank you, Harry and David. You're listening to Right at the Fork. This is Chris Angelus with you this morning um, with our podcast, moving up on two years of podcast. And uh, we're going to actually have our second vegan chef guest. Uh, this one would be Aaron Adams of Farm Spirit, who you also may know with after his stint at Portobello Vegan Trattoria uh, for a few years. And now he's Opened up a very small restaurant, 14 seats, I believe, doing a fixed menu nightly. Um, uh, he talks to us about his uh, his business practices in terms of employees and how to pay them fairly and some philosophies on that. And, of course, you're going to hear about veganism and his viewpoint, which is a little different than our last interview. If you go back early on in our archives with Jeff Reidebach of Homegrown Smoker Barbecue. Aaron's a little different, and uh, he's doing. But they're both doing vegan food. I think they have slightly different philosophies. Um, I really, I didn't know Aaron before this podcast, and uh, found his viewpoints refreshing and interesting, and not preachy. And um, I think you'll enjoy too. So, Aaron Adams of Farm Spirit. You got the full regalia there. Oh Did yeah. Do you think this was TV? No, this is my normal gear now. It is? Yeah. How many Farm Spirit shirts do you have? I've got 10 of them. 10? Yeah. So every, a fresh one every and day. And the hat, too. This the, is the, this is the alternative really cool. logo. This is the, the, the black metal, death metal logo for it. And how popular is that? How popular are those hats? This They're is the only cool. one. I, this, is the, this is an original. This is the, the, only the original? One. Yeah. you got to keep that. I have an original somewhere that I haven't found. An original Van Halen t-shirt. Oh, wow. Before they had the record company deal. <laughs> Somewhere it exists. So I hope that Farm Spirit hat has the same value tw- 30 years from now. Oh, I'm sure it will. Yeah, we're, we're just like Van Halen. Well, you're the Van Halen of vegan. That's right. The, the big V. Van Vegan. Van Vegan. So how do you... How do you uh, you've been doing vegan for a little while. As a matter of fact, I first heard about you... When you had Portobello, when we had, and he mentioned it, Jeff Reidebach, our friend from Homegrown Smoker, oh, one yeah. of my childhood friends. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah, yeah we're good buddies. and uh, He's a kick. He's a little bit of a kick. That's a good <laughs> episode, by the way. We, we need to put that back up sometime. Yeah, he's the only chef I know of a tie-dye chef coat. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And he's proud of it, too. Oh, yeah. Have you guys competed in some of the vegan Iron Chef? Uh, I judged, I I judged the one that he was in. I was a judge. And how did he come out? Ah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did great. He did great. I didn't like his scapes. I remember that. was He got mad at me because I said, you can't deep fry a whole scape and throw it on a plate. And he got really upset. <laughs> he got. He's not the type to get upset. He's a pretty low-key guy. No, he, I mean, upset. Like I, mean, just, I could tell he got upset. He, he, he kind of he trembled for a second. Really? He, he holds it back. He's a good guy. So have you, have you been to his cart? 
Oh yeah, I love I love homegrown smoker. Jeff is an amazing guy. Good. So, you weren't always into vegan. No. Um, and, and what brought you into the vegan world? You know, I think that I was um, kind of in the in. I was always kind of in the animal rights as a young kid. When I was in sixth grade, I I had like this epiphanal moment where I realized I didn't want to eat meat anymore. And um, it just became where, you know, animals were just not food anymore. It's just like, it's like if you told me to eat a stapler, you know, it's just like, it's not, and it's because it's not served for that purpose. It's like these animals are, you know, they're beings, they have their own thing going on. They have their, um, <laughs> you know, they have their own, um, their own complex world. Maybe it's a different type of intelligence that we have, but they have their own thing happening. And I just like, didn't really want to. And we wouldn't want to be eaten. I don't want to be eaten. I don't, right. like, yeah. I mean, and so the... <laughs> I guess I just, uh, from sixth grade to about senior year of high school, I just was the, the vegetarian kid. And um, after um, after around, I don't know, some, at some point I just stopped caring, and I was wanting to get involved in the kitchens, and so I let that override. And so I started working in, in restaurants, started work, getting more and more into um, working in nicer and nicer restaurants and just kind of forgot about that. And then, Is uh, it easy to forget about? Because if you had that epiphany, it's always on your mind. I don't and know what changed. I don't know why I, I don't know. I don't. Why you were really, able to turn it off? I think that I think that I was so anxious to get into the kitchen and to learn that I just I put my those ethics aside. And I don't know. I mean, I was like, you know, nineteen or eighteen or something. I was the stupidest eighteen year old too. It's amazing. Oh, I think there'd be a. I think most eighteen year olds could <laughs> run for that that uh, title. Yeah. So I went. I went on to. Um, I think that was when I went and opened my first place in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, my first restaurant, and I was like really responsible for all the ordering, and I was buying things. and And I think the moment started started when, <laughs> like a um, this guy from Cisco just kept on trying to sell product to me, and I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm not. You know, I'm trying to do this other type of thing. I'm not trying to buy stuff from Cisco. And they would just bring me samples after samples. And one day he brings in this bucket <laughs> with like these. Uh, you call them baby veal chops. And um, so they were like, they were the size of like a like a New Zealand lamb rack, but mm -hmm. they're veal. And I was like, I was like, this, was this like a stillborn calf or like, what did you bring me here? You know, like, what the hell? And uh, it was just sitting in like this. It was just like in this fetid water, you know, just kind of like they brought me this sample, of, and I was like, get the you know, get the hell out of here. You know? So by the way, from yeah. the not how to sell book, yeah. you get to know your customer a little bit, and he had to. If you kept telling him, I'm not interested in this, and this is where I'm coming from, then to bring those in? Yeah, just, just far off. So, um, you know, at the time, I'd already... So, I mean, actually, you know, so at that time, I was still serving foie gras and this kind of stuff, and then I was just, like, moving away from that, though. So that really pushed me over the edge, but I was just like, okay, I'm going to go to grass-fed meats only, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop um, selling... Uh, I'm not going to buy certain types of fish that are... That are um, you know, where their populations are compromised. Um, I'm only going to buy, I have this one lady, like, grow eggs just for me, you know, and you know, you know, grow eggs, whatever, have her chickens lay eggs, mm -hmm. and uh, um, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But then as I kind of just, like, saw it, I just kind of, like, oh, I'm going to take foie gras off the menu. It's not, you know, and I tried to, like, figure out what that, how that product fit into a local, um, a, you know, a local vor restaurant when there's no foie gras being grown anywhere around Florida and Portland for that matter. And it's, so it's, you know, it's not really a 
farm the table type product. It's a factory farm product. Well, how did it make it on the menu in the first place? This was your restaurant. Yeah, so this was because I was like coming from New York. I'd been working there. I had you know this this repertoire that I had learned, and I was going about it and not thinking about anything. I mean, there was a lot of stuff I wasn't thinking about when I opened up that place. I was 27 years old. I was really ambitious, and um, and I and I shouldn't have opened it because I didn't know what I was doing. But um, but experience, yeah, but I mean, nonetheless, sure, sure. Painful ones are experienced. Right, but you have to make mistakes, and you have to have certain realizations to get to where you, the proper place. Well, my chef used to always, chef, uh, you know, I feel like every cook has this person they call their chef, which is like this this person. And this guy, Neil Murphy, the son of a bitch that he is, he um, he he said, I'll, I'll give you the vanilla uh, podcast version of it, but he said. Oh, no, the vanilla's for, for not for podcasts. Oh, okay, well, great, great. No, so, you, can get, you can give us the flavorful I mean, version. he used to always say, like, I'm not smarter than you, I'm not better than you, I've just fucked up more than you have. And uh, and I was like, oh, yeah. And I say that to my cooks all the time, you know. So I'm not trying to exert, like, like uh, some sort of um, power over you just for, you know, or, you know, just be, like, coercive or something like that. It's just like, you know, I've, I've, I've already done this and I can, I can predict the result. And so, um, but when it comes back to what we were saying before with the with, with this, you know, I, I just didn't care. I wanted to have my restaurant be like Danielle, you know, and, um, you know, because I was like, oh, you know, I want to have, you know, I need to have a foie gras torchon and I need to have rabbit galantines and I need to have this and that and the other. And then, and then I just started. And then what year was this? Just so. Uh, 2000. Just to put it in perspective. 2002. In Jacksonville. Yeah. Not, not the most sophisticated. Dining community, I would imagine. I mean, now I think more so, for sure. Every every place is now because yeah. of food TV. Two thousand two, there. No, we had, you know we I opened up um, <laughs> going back to experience and learning. Uh, I opened up a a very new French um, restaurant with an entirely French wine list in conservative Jacksonville with like club members coming to the place. Uh, right, you know. In the height of Bill O'Reilly yelling at the French, we're terrible. So you know, these people were telling me I should get rid of my French wine, and we we're like, we are, sir, one glass at a time. But uh, you know, we did our best. We did our best. And I was then, of course, I was just like, well, you know, I'm going to put a French flag up now too. You know, <laughs> just because that's my that's the way I am. And that's probably why foie gras stayed on the menu for a little while. Too. Yeah, but you know, I tore. The, when I took that off, people, you know, they rebelled. People were upset. So what got you from Jacksonville here? Well, so. It's a serpentine route. Um, my my um, brother was going similarly going through like a uh, kind of a um, an existential crisis, and you know I was sitting there going like, "What am I doing? I'm serving people of Confederate flag pins on their lapel, and like you know that are like complaining about the black person in the dining room, and like you know really just, that oh yeah like these are like that's severe. old Southern money like country club people that were like we were like an extension of the country club on this little island and i'm sorry where did you grow up so what was i'm it? from east bay san francisco bay area okay so that was not something that no, came easy for you wasn't so used to that <laughs> so, so um <laughs> so then my brother was like had was trying to figure he was working in the computer industry he was like you know like adrenal fatigue syndrome just like stressed out hated his job and so he had left and he was and he came and visited and i was like hey come here and work the restaurant he's like hell no this is awful you know, i mean he, he headed back to the west coast and he ended up going to the um agroecology and sustainable food systems farm at uc santa cruz and trying to learn um organic farming and how that i don't know if you're familiar with that that they're set up there but it's like you know they have huge row co crops and then they have this what they call the up garden which is like the garden of eden with like 500 varieties of apple trees and just like beautiful produce and like amazing and these kids that go to school there 
they live in tents right along the edge of the field, and then they have like a communal lodge where they make meals together, and they make all, they made all vegan meals because I was the lowest common denominator, and they had like a, a like a horticultural library, and it was, it was really amazing, beautiful campus in the Santa Cruz um, hills, mountains, whatever. So then um, I went, I was like, I need some time off from work. I'm gonna go visit my brother. So I, I actually drove cross country to like give myself some time, and then went and visited my brother Jeremy, and. I was just like floored by this place. And I was like, this is beautiful. This is so far removed from the, the, the place where I was. Because even doing fine dining in New York at you know, places that you know, were like pretty okay, like Park Avenue Cafe, we, you know, we, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not going. It's a big restaurant. There's like 250 seats. We're not going to the farmer's market. You know, like stuff is being brought to us. So I, to go see that, it was just like really amazing. And was this new to you? So you grew up in the Bay Area. Were you- did you spend much time in the food culture there? Was that was no, part no, of your I, life? no, no, no. I left when I was like seventeen. I went to Seattle and started working as a dishwasher and cooking pretty soon after that. But no, the the um, but to see this and I remember this, there was this, there was this this uh, this girl that I thought was kind of cute, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna talk to this girl, and she was like, what do, what do you do for a living? You know, this this just like radical farmer lady, and she's and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a chef. I'm I'm in fine dining. Like, I like as if that was like cool, you know? I'm going to impress her. Yeah. And she was just like, huh, hmm. And just like walked off. So I was just like starting to think about it. It's like, you know, what am I doing? You know, it, all these things were really, at the time, it was like really perfect timing for everybody to like be like, for, for it was, per, everything was perfect for me to like kind of examine what was going on. So I went back and I, I shut the thing down, you know, and I, and I just handed the keys over to my, my business partner. I was like, bye, I'm out of here. You know, have fun. And so, what was your plan? Well, my brother was moving up to Portland to have a kid with his uh, his uh, new girlfriend from the farm. They had um, not her, huh? Not the not the one that you thought was kind of cute. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so they were already. I mean, so they told me at the farm that you know that that they were having a kid and like this was happening and stuff like that. So the, and so, did you know anything about Portland then? And they were moving to Portland. No, right, did yeah. you know anything about no, it? Not at all. Well, the only thing I remember about Portland was like it was a rough town because I had, I lived in Seattle in the 90s and we always thought of Portland like oh man don't go down there that's, that's a tough you know port city you know like and it's, so it, well yeah that's the 1890s yeah <laughs> <laughs> just so, just in case you weren't right right so I was a little out of date but like the, it was but you know I always thought Portland is just kind of like this like kind of working class town that's how, I mean I then kept up in what you know the, you know all the artists and hipsters had already shown up so we um um, but they were moving out there. They were moving up there. So I said, well, you know what? I want to be near my brother. I'm going to help them out with their kid and stuff like that if I can. So I came, um, I moved to Portland I, I moved in. So I kind of, it was kind of a really weird cause I went from like working constantly to like suddenly living in a house of a bunch of Reed college students. And, <laughs> Which is a little bit different than Jacksonville. It was a lot. De- what you described down there. Yeah. And so it was, it, and so it's it was, like yeah, it was marvelous. The polar opposite. It was, and, and for a while there, I was just like, well, and then, and then soon after, um, that epiphanal moment hit me again and really hard. Um, why, how I was in the middle of eating a, like a, like a meat lovers pizza, you know? And I was just like, oh, this is, and I was like, this is kind of gross. And I was just thinking about it and, you know, and I've been to slaughterhouses and I've done a ton of butchering and I've killed animals like, a, you know, I've killed rabbits and like all sorts of, you know animals in the kitchen that we were like illegally that we weren't supposed to but like you know um so i could see it and you know what some people are maybe they're tougher than me or maybe they just i, I don't know what it is but like i just was like oh, i've had enough and i actually 
I, I threw up and I haven't partaken since then. It was, it was like such a reaction. I was just like, I can't even keep this in my body. And it's interesting how some people take that to heart and they act on it. Yeah. I often think the way you do, like it, but I love it. Yeah. So I have not, I have not made that leap. I have a really great friend, Howard from the East Coast, who doesn't eat animal, any animal products. He'll eat fish, mm-hmm. but he won't eat any meat and or chicken or anything. And uh, he doesn't even think twice about it. And and it was because he just said, "I don't want to eat animals any longer. I love them too much." Yeah, you know, and it's like I don't even know if I love animals because I don't. I mean, I don't want to generalize. There's all these different species, and within species, there's individuals. And, you know, there could be a real asshole cow out there for all I know. You know I'm sure I mean? there are a couple. So, you know, but it's, so it's not about that. It's just about the fact that you have, like, this system of taking these animals apart that's so devious. And it's so, it's so unethical. And it goes beyond what their species are. There's no species of anything that you can put through that, that, that abattoir. That would be considered ethical. Well, there's a there's a range and there's a scope. So every uh, animal but, ends up in the same knife. What no matter how you raise it, if you if you you can say like you're ethically raising your animals, that's cool. You're keeping them in a place and making them stay there until the time that you're ready to use them. And right. that's and then it's for your use. And it's very human centric point of view. That's all. I'm yes, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm yeah. just saying that there's a there's a range because there are people with hearts and and respect animals, and I'm always. I'm always very interested to hear, okay, if you respect them, then same thing that you're thinking. Yeah. How do you do that? Well, they, we gave them a good life. They were happy, and therefore they will be tastier. Yeah, they're there. They're there. <laughs> they're there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but, it, you know, it's a hard, it, it's the omnivorous dilemma, I suppose, for those of us who haven't been able to act on it the way you have. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say that, like, I've, I'm like, the, you know, people kind of wonder if, like, if we're being pretentious or like that we're like, we're trying to pretend that we're more enlightened. And then again, I go back to, I've just fucked up more than you have, maybe. Because, like, I've, you know, I've killed, I've killed lots of animals. I've seen what, what it looks like to, 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 to slice a rabbit's throat, you know? And I just don't want to do it anymore. And I don't want anyone to do it for me. And do you mind that others are doing it? That was one thing that struck me when Jeff Reiderbach was sitting where you were. And he said, I don't, I'm not going to preach to you. I'm not going to, I'm not judging. You, if you eat meat or if you're butchering. Yeah, I mean, it does bother me that, that, that the thing exists. I don't have a problem of killing, like, like personally. This is my own personal thing. I'm not speaking for any, like, organization or anything. But, like, for me personally, I, I don't, like, things die. Things get killed. People kill each other. Animals kill each other. People kill animals. It happens in the thing. What I'm protesting when I'm boycotting, why I boycott eating meat, is because there is a system in place that is, that is, not only devious and unethical to just the fact that the way that the animals are reared and their lives are taken, but also because it is so damaging environmentally and so damaging to the people who work in those places. And there's nothing positive out of it other than the perceived positive of cheap, available meat. And the, the, with, the, with the, the amount of devastation that we're seeing in climate change based on... I mean, the amount of change that we could do just off of cutting down meat, mm-hmm. and the and the way that our fishery, how our insatiable desire to like eat fish We've is like emptying half of, the half of yeah half of the species since 1970. Or, and while we're yeah. doing that on one end, we're acidifying the oceans by 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 putting waste into it by the by our our agricultural pro, um, um, methods. And so I just think that it's like it's not like 
it's like if you're not thinking about doing this about doing something at least cutting down like like you know come on guys we got to do something you want people to think about it so we were talking about what what you don't want to do and but, yeah. so what what you do well and what makes farm spirit what it is now in portobello why did you make the switch from portobello to farm spirit what was that well i mean the the real story is you know i was that i was I owned Portobello with my girlfriend, and we broke up. And a year later, we sold, the, we split, the, we figured okay. out how to split the business. Um, but so, what's the fake story? I was just curious. Well, they... no, I mean, like, and besides that, though, there's another. It gets deeper than that. That, like, people who know me can tell you that I, for years, I've been talking about doing something like Farm Spirit. Mm -hmm. I've it's been dreaming, and maybe it was because I was, you know, wanting to just like because we were in the middle of a breakup or whatever, you know, or or whatever. I was just like. God, got to get out of this place you know and i love portobello it's great and it serves a purpose and it's wonderful and like the purpose what the design of it i kind of like designed part of it but the real design of portobello was danae horn my, my ex-girlfriend who's still a great friend of mine she's a wonderful person but like you know the design of it like the name was really what was like for her and like the the what the restaurant would be and what she wanted and i think it's a great idea is, is like she wanted to create a place that's really accessible for people. So like somewhere where people can get pizza and pasta and things like that. And using even Italian food, because people have this idea, like they can like, get their head wrapped around Italian. Mm -hmm. So it's a really approachable place. You can go get a beer and you can get a, a pizza and it's not expensive and it's awesome. So like that really serves a purpose, but it's not what I wanted to do to end my days. And and so, and, and Farm Spirit is. And, and by the way- To the end of your days or just now? I mean, I hope that I'm doing something like this until I fall over, you know, uh, for sure. But like, you know, they, um, um, and I should note too that while we're at Farm Spirit, you're not going to get handed a brochure and we're not going to like talk to you about veganism. That's not the place for it. The place that the, the, the focus at, at Farm Spirit is to, is to, is hospitality and, the, and, the, and to, um, um, and people ask me, they'll be like, oh, are you vegan? I'm like, yes. And that's that's the end that's of the it. conversation. Okay. So I don't I don't want to like make people uncomfortable and that's not my point there. My point my, my purpose there to is to serve delicious vegan food. And then under under that, like if we can like accomplish a goal of getting more attention to it, that maybe people will think about it more. And that's mm -hmm. our like our really weird form of activism. No, I think that's a good way to do it. I think combativeness, especially in this town, doesn't yeah. necessarily work. No. But you do some other things there as well. In terms of fair employment as well? I mean, we're trying. I think that, you know, I think that we're, um, what we're doing is we're hiring less people and paying them more and, and hiring people that are really quality people. Um, I got really inspired by the, the philosophy of that. It kind of seems ridiculous, but really inspired by the, the container store. And I don't know if you're familiar with that place, but it's a, a store down in, um, they, it's a world nationwide chain. And the guy has his philosophies. It's like, I think it's a three to one where he's like, I'd rather hire one person and pay them really, really well instead of having, you know, three people that, that aren't. And it's like, and so maybe that doesn't, I don't know if that's like um, fair employment, but like we, the people that we bring in, we want them to be really motivated and really good. And then we want to pay them really well. And, and keep so, them. So you and keep them. Uh, uh, consistency in a restaurant is super important and one way to accomplish that yeah. is to have the same people doing it oh please yes and and you know like our i'm really <laughs> excited that you know I, this is the first time i've ever worked with like where my dishwasher brings in like like muffins and cookies because she's stoked on her job you know and so it's like oh my god you brought cookies again you know it's so it's so nice to have uh somebody who um 
really cares about their job. And like when if a plate breaks, they're like devastated, you know. And uh, and I don't want them to be devastated, obviously, but I appreciate that they care. That they care, right? Yeah. So these the guys I have working for me: Timothy Deering and Ricardo Perez and Taylor Brigham, Brigman. Um, Taylor does dishes uh, primarily and handles a ton of other stuff. Um, but she's just just you know brightens up the place and she's just so hardworking. Shows up on time, stays when she needs to stay. It's amazing. And um, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. And then um, Ricardo. Perez, um, he's just marvelous, super intuitive cook. It's, you know, 15 years experience in the kitchen. Um, just um, a wonderful guy. Um, very, very um, personable. Um, people co- constantly comment on how sweet the man is. He's a sweetheart. And, um, and he's just really hardworking and just tries so hard. And then Timothy is just kind of this, you know, he's kind of the punk of the, of the kitchen. He's kind of, um, we're a boy band, by the way. I didn't know if you know that. <laughs> but he's just the, uh, you know, he's a, um, he's just a, he's just a hardworking, uh, hardworking guy. I mean, I, this morning he drove down to Salem to go pick up uh, quinoa from Willamette Valley Quinoa for me because I was like, hey man, we're out of quinoa and he can't bring it till Friday. He's like, I'll just drive down and grab it. So he just got, he went down there. So he's invested in the business. So Heather, Harry, and David, for years. My parents would send me wonderful holiday gifts when I lived on the East Coast, and they lived on the East Coast, and I didn't know at the time. These were all coming from Oregon. Amazing. Yeah, I, I hadn't really associated Harry and David uh, at all with, with Oregon, and so I was really delighted and surprised to find out that they are a Southern Oregon company. I, I If you would ask me, I would have said Napa because the the quality of of what they do is on such a tremendous scale that I would have said, you know, you would, it would be someplace like a New York or a Napa or something. Like but that. then we both moved to Oregon and we realized that the real quality is up here. And we learned it. Yes. We figured so, it out. And really uh, glad to learn that those delicious, incredible pears and a lot of the fruit and all those wonderful gifts came from Medford. Yeah. The Medford area. Yeah. Well, and they do so much. I mean, you just take a look at their website. It's gorgeous. Um, all kinds of pantry goods and fresh fruit and cheese and charcuterie and great ideas for grabbing a quick hostess gift or um, or gift in general for the holidays or meals or meals or yeah something that you're you're entertaining you want to grab something that's just going to be you know put it on a plate it's an appetizer done you're on to cooking the rest of the meal great solutions for that so no one better to be so kind as to sponsor our podcast, yeah. Mary and David, and we Love really them. we really appreciate it. And best of all, they're offering our listeners ten percent off with promo code PDX ten at HarryandDavid.com. And you have a little while to use it too. You have until the end of February two thousand sixteen. So go use it. Go use it. So, without asking you to divulge specifics, what kind of uh, pay structure you're working with that's different than most other restaurants. I mean, I don't want to. I don't know how comfortable. I didn't ask the, the guys before, but I can tell you that I've talked to sous chefs in town who make less per hour than my dishwasher. Okay. Yeah. And what about you? You have a fixed course deal, mm-hmm. and you're charging up front, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Tickets, much like yeah, a like lot. A, sh- a lot of businesses are doing now. It's kind of that model is becoming more more popular. Mm-hmm. For a number of reasons. Yeah, I mean, that's how we protect, that's how we're, so the, the my, okay, a typical restaurant, 
my labor costs will be like 25 to 30%. At our place, it's like fi- over 50%. Um, God, it might be like, it might be like 55%. And um, I have to. I haven't done my PNR this month, but the the well, thing I'm sure you know generally, you've been doing yeah. And the and and so it's really high, but our food cost is really low, and our rent is low, and other other utilities are low because you know we have we don't require a ton of space for what we do, and we know how many people are showing up the week before, so we get to do X number of people, so I know how to purchase just for what I need. We don't waste food. Whatever food, if we have anything left over, we make family meal out of it. Or we, or maybe ferment it or pickle it or something like that. And so, um, we don't waste, and um, except for well, no, yeah, we, and then we have, um, yeah. So everything is labor. Everything is labor there. And it's delicious too, though. You have to have good food. You have to good product. Where are you sourcing that? Well, we're, it, you spend a lot of time at the at the markets. I mean, we, farm we go, spirit. Yeah, we better. No, I get everything from Cisco and from no, <laughs> FSA. Um, no, we get um, we go to um, um, the farmers markets. So we go to Shemansky Park on Wednesdays. Um, we do a pickup from Groundworks there, and then get some other stuff from like either like you know, depends who's there now. You know, it's, it's starting to thin out a little bit, but like we've been historically buying from from the market from either the the PSU market or Hollywood market. On Saturdays, depending whether we need artichokes or not, because if we need artichokes, we'll go down, go visit De Noble, and then, um, and then we'll just get the rest of our stuff there. And then also, or if we need polenta, because we go to Lonesome, we see Lonesome Whistle over there, they'll get they have the Abenaki corn, and so we'll pick that up. Um, but then, um, if not, we'll try to avoid downtown because it's 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 a clusterfuck. So we go down to. Um, uh, we go to Hollywood on Saturdays, and then we have been going to Buckman, but that just end, ended on Thursday. The, the Thursday market ended, which was right around the corner for us, and and I was super bummed because I, I I'm always bummed when that ends because like Denison Farm is there and they're awesome, and then we pick up stuff from Persephone, Baird Family Orchard, um, Sun Gold, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But our three guys, our four people, no no three that we pick that we have delivered directly to the restaurant right now are um, my longtime friend and just like I'm just so I admire her so much is Sherry Sirkin over Dancing Roots. Um, she's been doing it for like 18 years. I've been buying for her for like six or seven years. And I just, I mean, I've like house sat their farm before. I like love these people. And um, and Brian, her husband, great. And then Jeff and Siobhan over at Black Sheep Farm. Um, they're on Puget Island. And then we've been buying from Stone Boat. Um, this guy, Jesse and his brother. And um, we just started buying from them. And... You yeah. know, it's it's a wonderful thing to listen to you reel that off because, you know, some restaurants have signs. You go into uh, Tasty and Sons, and they have mm-hmm. a beautiful list of all their suppliers. But 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, or when you were in Jacksonville, this wouldn't have been possible. No. So uh, and to have these kind of relationships. So when you've kind of, to me, substituted that heart and passion and love that some people have for animals and how they grow them for your your uh, produce and so forth. But the other thing is the reason, you, when you say your food costs are low, you're not buying meat. So that automatically lowers your food costs. I mean, to some degree, but yeah, I, I could see that. But I mean, I don't even, I don't even remember. <laughs> so I don't know. But, um, uh, but obviously, I mean, you know that meat would increase the cost. So how do you feel about, uh, so you, 
Do, you, do people tip on top of no. the dinner? No. So it's all included. So you're into that model right now where yes. tipping front of the house and the back of the house is sharing in the... There's no front of the house. It's like all counter. So oh, right. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we do it all. Well, the front of the house is the back of the house. Yeah, we're one, we're one team. Same thing. So what's the, uh, what's the night like? At Farm Spirit, and are you pretty booked up? Is that how's, how are things we're usually going? about uh, we're usually booked out about about two weeks in advance right now. And where do people find out? Where do people make reservations and uh, you go to see farm, menus and so forth? FarmSpiritPDX.com. We have a menu up there. Um, we we try to we try to list up the menu whenever we do a change. Um, and there's a book your seat now button. They'll take you to the talk website. Um, the Talk Farm Spirit website that will that will guide you through your purchase. So we mentioned, I mentioned Jeff and Homegrown Smoker. Where else? What other vegan opportunities are there in Portland that you would suggest? God, okay. So vegan restaurants. Um, I would say, um, like you just primarily vegan or vegan options. Yeah. I mean, both, there's so much. Both. I mean, if someone wants to experience that. I mean, you, Surely like, they should go to Farm Spirit, but there are others too, and that you, you need, like to go to. You need to you go would... to Portobello if you're going to come to Portland. If say if you're, if you're if you're coming to Portland, do a, a vegan culinary tour. You need to go to Porto, Portobello and get one of their you know get, get one of their pizzas. And um, if you and you need to go to um, Harvest at the Bindery, which is the new place over on Sandy and Thirty First. Um, Sean Sigmund, the chef there, is incredibly talented. I knew him from Jacksonville. Um, I actually got on the job here. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's amazing and his um the food is you know it's really um straightforward delicious beautiful food and their brunch is great for other things for brunch too is a and d cafe is really fun um and then uh, you know of course there's the old standbys like blossoming lotus um i personally like to go to when it's late night and i want to eat something really good i go to to, to biwa mm-hmm and they they always like I say hey I'm vegan da-da. and they, they, if I get this one waiter who recognizes me he always hooks me up with this like like really nice omakase. Do you ever get to departure? Gregory will uh, take oh, yeah. care of you that with that. Oh yeah, Gregory's great, and I always Gregory I like Gregory Yeah, I love to go up into uh, into the spaceship every once in a while. And then and then one of his favorites that he's mentioned to me is Prasad too. Prasad, yeah, I haven't been to Prasad. Okay, well that's just. One that came to mind. Yeah, I used I, to go to the old Blossoming Lotus in that space. I used to love. The, I I used to. I actually used to ride bikes and be in shape at one time in my life. And I would go ride around the West Hills and go get soft serve over at the Blossoming Lotus there. And they had the best this cashew hummus. It was ridiculous. They they was so good. I love the old location a lot. Do you have time to exercise much? Because you're eating so healthfully. Uh, yeah, I eat. I always tell people I eat a real healthy diet, and then I eat an entire other one on top of it. What's that one? What's what's the corn? Have eaten corn dogs and all sorts of garbage. Okay. But I've been cutting that. I've been cutting that out with the farm spirit opening. I've like really tried. To, I, I cutting that back on all this other garbage and like my body. Well, seems most to be people doing wouldn't all. think that's garbage though. They would think it was vegan corn dog. It's better for you than a <laughs> no, not at no. Least. It's not. I would never ever purport that a vegan diet is naturally just saying a vegan diet is healthier than eating an omnivorous diet ever. Really? I would never no. There's and, and there's so many people that purport like like terrible myths like you know oh you're gonna get colon cancer if you eat meat and so this is not true, that's not the, I don't want to ever want to like. Court, you were just talking on your radio show this morning about that the reports that are out now with cured meat, right? Yeah, I love, I love colon cancer. I, love, I think anything can. I love bacon way too much. I'll take the cancer. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a matter of when that hits. Right, but, I'm um, sure I'm riddled with cancers. Don't worry. But. No, well, you don't, <laughs> but 
But I, I but that's surprising to me that you would say it's not healthy. Well, I'm not, I want to have an honest conversation about about animal rights and, and veganism, and not like try to like sway people by fear or saying things that are untrue. And so, like you know, but like I'm, my thinking mm-hmm. has been that it is if if I could accomplish a vegan diet, I'd be healthier. Yeah, probably. Um, you know, if you eat a, a vegan diet that's based off of fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains, and not fake and not meat the... and and tons of like processed foods and hydrogenated oils and stuff like that, okay. and chocolate, yeah, vegan chocolates. You know, it's like it's, if yeah, if you eat a really healthy diet, but if you eat a really healthy diet with meat, um, in there too, I'm sure you can be healthy. I'm just saying the animals will be a hell of a lot healthier if you don't eat them. Yeah. Well, at some point, don't you have to cull them as well? I mean, yeah. Oh, Jesus, you sound like the Grim Reaper. No, <laughs> but I'm just. You must I'm call. Just, I'm f- just ask, asking if we never. I never. I don't know if you. Well, you, if if you, you should stop breeding them. From, Maybe stop breeding them. Okay. There's another way. It's like don't, don't force breed them. You know, and I don't want to get too explicit, but if you like, if you talk about what like the industry term for uh, the, the breeding area for milk for dairy cows, it's called a rape rack, and you know that's kind of a scary, horrible like well, industry term for something. Well, it's interesting. I don't have a rape rack at my restaurant. A, a I few, mean, few years ago, my son and I went to Seafood Incorporated, and yeah. then after that, for months, we're very mindful of those conditions and what we're eating. And then that kind of that unfortunately goes. I away. mean, I know I'm been there, man. It went away from me too. Yeah. Hopefully, it doesn't go away again. Well, good. And you have to be. Uh, you you obviously love what you do. I do. I, I mean, above everything, I want to just. I I just. I feel like I've had to figure out a way that I could reconcile my desire to try to do fine dining style food in an environment that wasn't overly exclusive, or, you know, you know, where I just I, and you know that wasn't pretentious. That made people feel comfortable. Where hospitality was a focus, and also be able to retain my ethics. And it's difficult because God, I'd love to go stage at so many places that I can't, like you know, that I just wouldn't be able to go walk in their kitchen and do work. You know, I admire just because you know. The chefs that use meat, I, I still admire them and respect them professionally incredibly. And I and I'm I wish I could walk in the kitchen and learn from those guys and but I have to go figure it out in my little my little spot over there. Well I have a feeling you know, and besides, do you mind my asking you how old you are? I'm forty. Well you look younger than that to me. Oh, it's a vegan diet, guys. I think that's what it is. <laughs> but you still have a lot of uh, the what strikes me is at at fifty, you're gonna have a lot of realizations and call yourself stupid again at forty. Because you're going to learn new things and be in a different place at 50, for sure, and, then, and 60. So uh, you have a long, you know, you have a, a bright career in front of you, and you do, obviously, very passionate about what you do, and I think people will, I haven't been to Farm Spirit, but I will come in. I, I hope so. I definitely will. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, especially after I meet someone and I get to know 30 minutes worth of their background and what's in their heart, uh, it's it makes it more a richer experience. Awesome. So well, th- thanks. I hope this was a rich experience for our listeners. I'm sure it was. Well, Don't you think? You. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming. Right at the Fork is hosted by Chris Angelus, produced by me, Heather Jones, and expertly sound engineered by Court Johnson. We record at the beautiful studios of Alpha Media, and we can be found anywhere on the internets where you can listen to podcasts. If you want to find us and talk to us, we love emails and tweets and Facebook posts. You can find us at rightatthefork at gmail.com, on Facebook at Right at the Fork, and on Twitter at foodpodcastpdx.